Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Hello again. I'm writing this the day after Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. I don't normally cry when public figures die, but even if I hadn't been scared about who will replace her on the Supreme Court, I'm pretty sure I still would have cried over the loss of this amazing woman. Anyway, I hope that you are all still well and remembering to breathe and remembering to vote and fighting the good fight. Today's play is another tragedy from Euripides. I believe I called it Hecuba in the last episode, but if you look at the episode title, you'll see that I've called it Hecabee today, and that's one of those that all depends on the translation things. Um, when I first made my episode list, I was referencing the source that used the Latinized Hecuba, and the translation I'm using today uh, keeps the Greek Hecabee. Uh, so that's what I'm going to call her today. I'm using the John Davy translation from 1998, which is the same text that I used for Andromache. Um, you should have some recollection of Hecabee from when we read the Iliad. This is another play about the aftermath of the Trojan War. It was written around 424 BCE, so like we saw two weeks ago in Andromache, it was probably influenced by the current events of the Peloponnesian War. Um, the play is set in Thrace on the shores of the uh, Kersonese Peninsula, um, the Greeks have landed there due to bad weather on their way home. As we frequently see, the cast is small and consists of some characters who should be familiar to you, whether by name or position. Of course, we have Hecabe or Hecuba, depending on your translation. She was the Queen of Troy, Priam's wife, and now she is a captive of Agamemnon, who also appears in this play. Two of her children appear, her daughter Polyxena and the ghost of her son Polydorus. Um, the other Greek you should be familiar with is Odysseus, and the other named characters are Talphibius, a Greek herald, and Polymestor, uh, the king of the Thracian Chersonese, um, and an ally to the late king Priam. There is one maid or servant with a speaking role, um, and the chorus is made up of the women who were captured after Troy fell. Yes, I did say that one of the children appears as a ghost, and when we get to the summary after this short break, he'll explain it all in the prologue. When the play opens, the ghost of Polydorus appears, ex machina, because Euripides could never resist using the device at some point in his plays. The ghost explains that he's the son of Hecabe and Priam, and that he'd been sent away to stay with Polymester to protect him from the war. That Priam had sent quantities of gold and jewelry with him to pay for his upkeep and to protect the Trojan treasure from plunder of the city fell. You may recall that Prime had like 50 children. Um, Polydorus was the baby of the family, too young to fight, and that is why he was sent away. But none of the others were. And he lived happily in Thrace, and he grew up there. But then Troy fell, and Polymestor, um, yeah, he murdered his guest, stole the treasure, and cast the dead body into the sea. Without a proper burial, Polymester is doomed to haunt the place. But now, fortuitously for the ghost, the Greeks are stuck here. And the ghost of Achilles is requiring a sacrifice before he'll allow the winds to blow fair again. But not just any sacrifice. He's demanding that Polydorus's sister, Polyxena, be the sacrificial victim. The ghost hears his mother coming and exits. Hecabe enters. She speaks of how she can't sleep because of the nightmares. <laughs> 
I can imagine. I've lost one child and my nightmares are bad enough. Hecabee has lost almost all of hers. The chorus enters and sings a lament with her. Polyzena enters, and Hecabee tells her that the Greeks have voted for the sacrifice. Mother and daughter lament together until they are interrupted by the entrance of Odysseus. He has come for Polyzena to take her to the tomb of Achilles, where she will be sacrificed. Hecabee reminds Odysseus of the time that he came to spy on the Trojans, and how Helen recognized him and told her, and how she spared his life. Odysseus remembers, but he doesn't relent. Hecabee cries and curses and begs. She tells him that there are already, there's already been enough death. Odysseus responds by telling her that she should be honored to have her daughter sacrificed to the greatest of the Greek heroes. Hecabe turns to her daughter and apologizes for not being able to save her life. She suggests that Polyzena might have better luck, but Polyzena responds with a moving speech about how she was a princess and now she's a slave and that she prefers death to slavery. In a moving scene, Polyzena and Hecabe say farewell. Then Odysseus and Polyzena exit. Hecabe falls to the ground in tears and the chorus sings a lament with her. Talphibius enters shortly thereafter and provides an account of the sacrifice. I'll spare you the details. Hecabe asks him to take a message back to the Greeks. No one is to touch her daughter's body. She will take care of the burial. She sends a servant to fetch water. Hecabe exits into her tent. The chorus sings about grief. The servant returns, followed by attendants who are carrying a body. She breaks the news to Hecabe that they found the body of Polydorus when, the sh- when at the shore gathering water. Hecabe knows what has happened. The man that she'd trusted has betrayed her. Agamemnon enters. He wants to know what's taking so long. The Greeks haven't touched Polyzena's body, but somebody needs to do something about it. Then he sees the new dead body and asks who it is. Hecabe debates with herself what to tell him, um, but ultimately she decides to ask him for help. Agamemnon agrees, but he has this little problem in that any enemy of his enemy is his friend, and since Polydorus was his enemy, Hecabe says that she'll take care of Polymester. She and the other Trojan women will. He just needs to come to the Greek encampment. Agamemnon agrees and exits. The chorus sings a lament about the fall of Troy and the loss of their former home and status. Polymester enters accompanied by his two children. Hecabe tells him about the treasure that she has smuggled out of Troy. It's hidden in her tent. It's his for the taking since he took such good care of her son. Hecabe leads him into her tent. Cries are heard from within as the Trojan women attack. The boys are killed quickly, but Polymester is not. Hecabe enters, and Polymester, blinded and bloody, follows shortly after. Agamemnon enters and is called upon to act as judge. Hecabe presents the stronger argument, and Agamemnon punishes Polymester to banishment on the desert island for the rest of his life. Polymester does get a last word, though. He tells Hecabe that she'll die before reaching Greece, and that Cassandra, her daughter, will be killed by Agamemnon's wife. Oh, and she'll kill Agamemnon, too. At that, Agamemnon orders Polymester to be gagged and dragged off. The chorus concludes the play in a Borg-like fashion, telling the audience that resisting fate is futile. This is a very dark play. I mean, Euripides wrote a lot of dark stuff, but this is dark even for him. Like we saw in Andromache, it really is a couple of different plays stuck together. Um, There's the Polyxena part and there's the Polymester part. And it all feels somewhat unresolved because 
life. (laughs) Euripides is known for pushing boundaries on religion, politics, philosophy, and we see it in religion here. As I've said before, Euripides loved to use the ex machina device, Um, and usually it's a deus ex machina, and a god is flown in to resolve whatever problems have been presented. This time the machine is only used at the beginning, and it's not a god who is flown in. And the sacrifice that's required is not because a god demands it. The ghost of Achilles commands it. There are no gods in this play. And it's hard to tell if there are any gods in the lives of the people in it. Um, But this is primarily about grief. Hecabe is a meaty character to play, and we're talking Catherine Hepburn territory here, although I'm not sure she played Hecabe in this play as well as in The Trojan Women, um, which is a play that we'll read later. Um, We see most of this through her eyes, and she has lost almost everyone she loves. In fact, when she first sees the covered body of Polydorus, her first thought is that it is Cassandra, one of her few children who still lives, or rather the only who still lives by that point in the play. So, what do you think about this play? How would you direct it? Who would you cast? Ooh, Hecabe. Who would you cast as Hecabe? Or even Polyzena? I mean, that's a a hard, hard role to play. I'd love to hear your thoughts over on the blog. The link, as always, is in the show notes. On Wednesday, we'll continue our journey with Odysseus uh, with book six of the Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.